1: In a galaxy far, far away. The next chapter in the Star Wars saga, Revenge of the Jedi. The battle between good and evil rages on. Join the further adventures of Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Princess Leia. Lando Calrissian, Chewbacca, C-3PO and R2-D2, and Darth Vader. Hey, hey. A journey to alien worlds. It's a trap. A rebellion against oppression. An epic of heroes and villains. An adventure as vast as the universe. Revenge of the Jedi. Coming May 25th to a theater in your galaxy.
0: everybody and welcome once again to GeekFest Rant, my name is Carlos Perón, and today we are continuing with our Posters of the Month series. This time around, we have two classics, I know I say that a lot, they're all classics to me, but these are legitimate classics. First up, Revenge of the Jedi. This one sheet poster from Drew Struzan is a must to every Star Wars fan that collects not only merchandise, but specifically posters. This is a gorgeous poster we're gonna go over, and it's weird little things about it. And then, while we're on this kind of like a, I guess you can call it a Lucasfilm trend, we're gonna hit Raiders of the Lost Ark, the original, the first Raiders of the Lost Ark poster. This particular one drawn by Richard Amsell, another giant, you know, in the world of poster artistry. So, as I said before, we are hitting the classics today. All right, so let's get started. First up, with Revenge of the Jedi.
1: You can collect them all. You are a toy! Batteries not included. Just get those wonderful toys.
0: Details on specially marked packages at participating stores that the six million dollar man's boss it's oscar goldman why do you have that that's worth a lot of money
1: that's much more valuable than steve Ross. action figures each sold separately
0: hi i'm chucky and i'm your friend to the end
1: some assembly required
0: all your favorite star wars heroes and villains i have three of each one to display one to open and one just in case all right for today's posters of the month we are going to examine two absolute classics and I know I say this a lot of times because well a lot of times I am dealing with posters that are considered classics some are just personal favorites but these are classics in every sense of the word first one up is the Star Wars Revenge of the Jedi teaser poster and the other one is the classic Raiders of the Lost Ark poster the official one sheet for the film so let's begin with Revenge of the Jedi well as you guys probably know the story by now The film, for a pretty long period of time while it was being produced, was going to be called Revenge of the Jedi. And whether it's true or not, the story goes that uh, at the last minute, uh, Lucas decided, wait a minute, because, you know, eventually Luke wins, you know, spoiler alert uh, for the film, he didn't want to imply that revenge was, you know, in his character that it was something that uh you know a trait of a jedi so the last second you know it went from revenge of the jedi to return of the jedi now this poster was drawn by drew struzan a giant in the poster <laughs> making industry he did practically all of the uh special edition posters i believe he did some original ones too you know original trilogy ones he was involved And he's done some modern stuff. You know, Struzen is everywhere. He's completely, absolutely everywhere. And not just Star Wars. I mean, obviously, he's all over Star Wars, but he's all over everything. And we've talked about them before when we talked about The Thing and so many other ones. But here we're going to talk about specifically this poster. And this is a poster, if you've seen it or if you see the little art that I include in the uh, slate for this show, it's the one that it's kind of reddish with a big giant Darth Vader head looking off to the... Uh, left, I guess. And it says the saga continues on the top. And then you have a picture or a silhouette, more or less, of Luke and Vader clashing swords uh, standing over what looks like to be, uh, to me it looks like Bespin because it has those, uh, those pill box, pill shape sides to the, to the floor that they're standing on. And then underneath you have Star Wars Revenge of the Jedi. And that's it. Star Wars Revenge of the Jedi. The letters themselves go from yellow to red. Uh, The overall poster color is very red. There's a red thing happening in this poster. And I remember seeing this poster or a variation of it. There's multiple variations on this poster, different sizes, different shapes. One of them actually has the release date on the bottom. It says, I think, May 25th, I believe. And that might have been the one that I saw or this one. I'm not entirely sure. I first saw this poster back in 1983, I believe. It must have been 83 or... Maybe it was 82. I've talked about this before. When I saw a God knows which re-release of Star Wars, the one that had the trailer included for Revenge of the Jedi, of which that particular poster I've talked about in the past, it was one of the first posters of the month segments that I've done. That poster had this banner across one of the corners that said, you know, with a special sneak preview of the trailer of Revenge of the Jedi. And to me, that was the only one at the time. A poster that had the an actual the actual words, revenge, you know, an, an official something from Star Wars, before they had to go and then quickly rename the film. But this particular poster, which I never owned in the past, the one I currently have is a reproduction. It's a very good reproduction. I mean, I... I I couldn't tell you if it's reproduced or not just by looking at it like this. You would have to look at the, I guess, the edges to see the trademarks and all the other stuff. And I'm sure if you put them side by side, you don't have to be a brain surgeon to kind of figure it out. But you have to kind of, yeah, you, know, you got to pay close attention. It's fine. For for my purposes, this is perfectly fine. I, I don't have to spend, you know, $500 to $1,000 to feel satisfied with what's in front of me right now. This poster, I remember, it was the... Jackson Theater, I believe, if I can remember right, back in Queens, back in 1980, again, either 1982, 1983, might have been 83. The promotion for this comes very close to the release of the film. And I remember either coming out of a film or going into a film, and all of a sudden in the lobby, this poster is there. And it was like, oh my God. Now, you got to remember, as I mentioned many times before, 1983, no internet, the closest thing to... Information about films is Starlog magazine. Every now and then, you might get something on Entertainment Tonight, you know, or if you go to conventions, you know, sometimes stuff would come to conventions. Uh, granted, Lucasfilm wasn't very active, you know, in convention representation for them, you know, that sort of thing, like like they are now, you know with with their own conventions or even representing their brand you know on something like Comic-Con or or anything like that where they where they make a presence back then a lot of the convention related stuff was very how shall we say specific and it depended on how desperate these brands were the more desperate you are the more you promote Star Wars by the time you know I got here Was a monster. So it didn't need any additional promotion, really. They didn't need to go out there and hustle the way that they initially did you know, I'm talking about back in the in the Charlie Lippincott days where they were going uh, to conventions to promote this new thing called Star Wars. That's when they were hungry. That's when they had to do that. After Star Wars came out, that went out the window. It was almost it was almost the opposite. They, they had a very difficult time keeping things under wrap. You know, people trying to sneak in and trying to get a story or get a scoop or get a plot detail or something like that. And that is something that they had to deal with uh, right away, if you think about it, people trying to get a scoop, people trying to, uh, you know, not not spoiling, you know, what was coming, whether it was Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi or Revenge of the Jedi. That's one of the first times I remember, you know, you start to notice that, yes, there is an issue with certain actors and specifically David Prouse. There was this thing with David Prouse, even though he's... He is billed as one of the stars of the film. You know, very early on with David Prowse, he was miffed at the fact that apparently, you know, depending on who you believe, unbeknownst to him, they replaced his voice because he was under the impression that his own voice would be used. And instead they picked James Earl Jones, you know, that big, you know, beefy, deep (laughs) voice that he has to voice Darth Vader, as opposed to David Prowse as a more traditional, average, very English accent, a certain section of Britain, a very regional accent. And and you can actually hear it in some of the, uh, uh, the outtakes that are floating around out there. You can hear his voice because he did do the voice, but I find it really hard to believe that anybody would have said, yeah, we're going to keep that voice. No, that voice just didn't fit at all. No matter what you do, it just didn't fit. So... Again, you never know. So, like I said, that was one of the earlier problems that they had was that, you know, Prowse wasn't very happy with that. And as a result of that, very early on, because he was upset that his voice was replaced, you'll notice that any of the autographs he gives out or he's given out always says David Prowse is Darth Vader. So he's kind of like rubbing it in everybody's face in a way of the fact that he is Darth Vader, not that other guy or not the stunt guy or not the voice guy. You know, it's a little, I guess, passive aggressive kind of thing against Lucasfilm that kind of stayed on. But with that said, they kind of still had a good relationship until something happened where he gave some kind of an interview where he either... Revealed a plot point that he wasn't supposed to or theorized on a plot point that exactly became true. That is that Vader is Luke's father. So that is when all of a sudden uh, Lucasfilm got upset with him and they said, all right, that's enough. We, we can't have these kind of leaks. Uh, so from that moment on, they kind of kept him kind of quiet. They tried to minimize his part as much as possible by the time Revenge of the Jedi Return of the Jedi comes out, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to keep him under wraps as much as possible. And, you know, that whole thing of, of spoilers or of giving away things kind of was something that they they kept working on. And it is kind of difficult because in this particular film, he has such a big character. But, you know, very early on, it, it, it was difficult. Like I said before, even without the internet, it was difficult because people could slip or could purposely say something stupid, you know, to spoil, you know, a, a major plot point. Uh, and I believe the Revenge of the Jedi or Return of the Jedi had a similar situation where there were certain things that shouldn't have been said that they were said. And again, here we go again. We got to keep things quiet. Well, this being a teaser poster, you know, you don't want to give away too much. Uh, you don't want to give away too much. Uh, this is a, a big tease. And, and in, in, you know, you, you definitely have a, an enormous, you know, Darth Vader presence in this poster. It's almost as if, I mean, if you're looking at it, it's almost as if this whole poster is about Darth Vader. Uh, but you do have Luke and him clashing swords, and it does look like a, an Empire Strikes back he kind of pose. You know, Luke is holding the saber in a certain way that we might have seen before. Vader is less silhouetted. You can actually see, uh, you know, the, the different colors on his chest and his belt and all that kind of thing, even out in spaces. Like, there is some light. And behind them, there's this pinkish kind of glow, which it's a little unusual because it's like a pink that kind of transitions into a purple, uh, which you kind of could say, well, maybe that's the effect you get when you have smoke, you know, projected in front of a red background. Again, we're not used to seeing this because in Empire, it was basically black with some orange. But this is giving us a heads up already that we are going to be dealing with a certain color palette. And the color palette is something that I think I might've talked about in the past, that when I think of Star Wars, and, and I have a feeling it's by design, it's not by accident. When I think of the, the Star Wars films, the, the original trilogy anyway, not necessarily the prequels, but the original films, I always kind of picture Star Wars as, as either white or gold. Originally, when you saw the logo for Star Wars in the original posters, most of them really are, are white. It, it, the 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 letters Star Wars are white. At a certain point, they kind of, I think they might have experimented a little bit with blue. But then they kind of settled with gold. And by gold, I'm talking about uh, the crawl. When you see the crawl, everything is in gold. And that is kind of the classic now look of when you think of Star Wars. You still, like I said, you still have the white. The white is still there. But it's somewhere, I would say, between, it, it, it fluctuates somewhere between white and and gold action figures uh, all the branding on action figures are usually white like a chrome kind of white sometimes they have an accent of gold sometimes they don't even force awakens i think they went back to gold because they i guess they wanted to to recreate that that original trilogy you know beginning of the saga feel to it so you know, when I think of Star Wars, i in 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 a um, in a logo fashion, I, I always think of the, the, that gold or that white chromy, you know, action figure brand. When we move on to the second film, and again, a lot of this could also be due to the trailers. Some of the initial trailers for The Empire Strikes Back they used a blue font, and the blue font kind of makes the blue color font kind of makes sense because it's, you know, when I think of empire, I think of Hoth, and I think of this, not necessarily white, but a bluish uh, hue. You know, anything having to do with Hoth, that blue sky that kind of makes everything, you know, all the whites can turn a little bit blue. Luke's, uh, you know, blue lightsaber, there's a lot of blue in there. Granted, later on in the story, we do get some greens and we get some golds, and we get some oranges, you know, as the story progresses. Uh, different shades that we haven't really seen before. Even Tatooine is very different than Cloud City, let's say. Tatooine is more bland, more yellow, very light browns. Uh, Cloud City, forget it, it's 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 elegant. And it, between the sky, uh, pinks, and, and the oranges, and the reds, it's a whole other color palette. But that's not what they were shooting for as far as the way that they were promoting the film and branding the film. In the poster, again, it's a little different in the poster because that happens. But the first initial color that I think of is, is more of a blue. By the time we get to Return of the Jedi or Revenge of the Jedi, red is there for you. This poster is red. There's red everywhere. And I even remember when I watched that trailer, my God, when I watched that trailer, once again... Everything was in red. All of the logos were in red. You know, return red of the Jedi. You know, revenge, bomb, of the Jedi. And even in this, in the trailer itself, I remember that was one of the overwhelming colors that kind of stuck out. Was the Royal Guards, the the. Imperial, the Emperors, Royal Guards. It's like, oh my God, look at those red outfits. They're fantastic. You know, they stuck out so much, even though you did have, you know, in that trailer, you see a lot of stuff. You see some Tatooine, you see some Endor. At, you know, at, granted, at the time, you have no idea what you're dealing with, but, and, and you see some Death star looking, you know, or at the time we did, I don't think we knew it was the Death Star. I think we it was some kind of Imperial setting. But I do remember that that was one of the, biggest things that stuck out to me was red and this poster gives you that it gives you that new color palette and it's supposed to tell it's I, obviously i mean it's supposed to differentiate this film from the first two films and it does that but you know color wise but one of the things that i read that streusen was trying to convey in this poster was that there was a struggle of a very distinct struggle between two forces the forces of light and forces of darkness and one of the things that also plays a little bit of a head game with you with the with the teaser trailer for revenge of the jedi is that we do see luke wearing black he has his new outfit for this film now we don't know exactly what it means or what it represents or how it came about or anything of that but we do notice he's wearing black and he's confronting bader in his own black outfit. So, in your mind, you start to think, wait a minute, is Luke a bad guy in this film? What's going on? Why is he wearing black? Uh, you know, it's 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 very subtle. Well, not, not so subtle. But in the poster, once again, Struzan was trying to, you know, because we also see them both in shade. We see a silhouette of Luke completely black. And we see Vader wearing his outfit completely black. And we're like thinking, wait a minute. Is this... Are these guys going to, like, is Luke going to turn evil? That was one of the big things about this film was but Luke turning. Is that a possibility? Again, it's, you could kind of say, well, maybe this was done, done intentionally because we wanted people to start wondering. It's all part of the marketing and they're trying to get people's attention. But it's one of these situations where it's kind of like, you know, like I mentioned in the beginning of this recording. On one hand, they are not going out of their way to... Um, promote the film. Uh, but on the other hand, they're trying to convey something. So it's almost like subliminal. It's like, we don't want to go out there and tell you about it, but we want to subliminally tell you certain things. Uh, so it's kind of like in the back of your mind. That's a possibility. I don't know. The art, like I said, the artist, you know, is trying to portray something in this poster. The other thing I, I noticed... Uh, just now for the first time, is that the the Star Wars Revenge of the Jedi logo transitions from gold to red. So you do have that connection of those two colors, and you would say to yourself, well, you could say, well, why, why? What's the point of that? Well, it, 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 to me, it shows the, the progression of from the first film to the third film. You're seeing that whole thing, granted, there's no blue streak in the middle, but Gold to red it makes a little more sense than having to go to blue in the middle. It's a transition in color, gold to red, you know, yellow to red. The other thing that is very interesting about this poster that has been debated forever, and I cannot find, as much as I looked, I cannot find a decent answer or an official answer, is why is it that the color of the lightsabers are reversed? But Luke's lightsaber looks reddish the glow is red and vader's lightsaber his glow looks kind of blue so it's kind of like the colors have been reversed so you might say to yourself well what does that mean is this part of that whole subliminal thing of are they switching sides is luke turning evil is vader turning good so it's like wait a minute Ah." i mean if you think about it if you think about it You know, something like that sort of happens in the film. You know, Luke is tempted by the dark side more than ever before. Vader eventually comes to the light side of the force. So you can kind of say, okay, well, maybe something like this does happen. Did Struzan do this by accident? Did he reverse the colors by accident? And I find it very hard to believe that he would do this by accident because, you know, by now you can't just say Accident. There's been many instances in Star Wars merchandising art, especially with action figures, where because the reference material wasn't available, people theorized, artists theorized on how something should look like, and they made it that way. And then that's why that's how you end up with, you know, Luke Skywalker's uh, lightsaber being yellow, uh, you know, on certain toys, you know, on certain action figures and stuff like that. You can kind of chalk it off to, well, they just didn't have it right. They didn't know at the time. It was the first film. Things were a little out of whack. But that's the beginning. This is 1983. You know, we're we're already practically there. You know, there's two movies already to deal with that you can kind of tell what's what. So I find it incredibly difficult to believe that Luke would be holding the wrong color lightsaber because the artist didn't know any better. Impossible. I cannot believe that. A more likely explanation is and I'm just theorizing here, is that it is is just more of this whole we need to confuse people, we need to suggest the possibility of switching sides, of your good guy turns into a bad guy and your bad guy turning into a good guy. So that to me seems a little more likely what was trying to be said here. And the fact that it's so hard to find an actual quote somewhere of why this happened. But overall, you know, this granted not being an official one sheet you know this isn't the this is this was meant to be a tease and they've had teas post, teaser posters you know for a long time not as intricate as this one i would say if, you know your star wars teaser was like coming you know coming this summer and it was just the logo or or for empire i think they might have had like the big vader head in the starfield the one like they had similar to the one they had in the um, in the album the, the soundtrack but this one is, is interesting because it is definitely the most elaborate teaser poster, you know, that, that was produced. And it was never really used again, if you think about it. This was not used in any other merchandisable way whatsoever. And part of it probably is because of the word revenge. <laughs> Once they decided that revenge was going to be changed to return, you know, they had to retire these posters as fast as possible. They, immediately these became collector's items. I know that they, the, the, the fan club, I think, sold a whole bunch of these revenge ones. Back then, for very little money, and now they're worth a lot of money. But, yeah, this is definitely a, a sentimental poster because, I, I, like I said, I do remember seeing it in the movie theater. And when you have so very little information, you know, every little morsel, it's like, uh, you know, you're, you're a starving man and somebody gives you a cracker. You just chew on that cracker as much as you can. We did a show, I think, a, a long time ago about... Return of the Jedi, or I don't know if it was the anniversary or what it was. Or, and, we, and we did talk about the whole Revenge versus Return and how the earliest photos, even of this film, were coming through the fan club, through Bantha tracks. And there was just a still of, of some uh, Endor stuff. And I think there might have been a still of, of Admiral Akbar, black and white, you know, that wasn't even in color. But even at this stage, it's, it's interesting that they don't want to even give you uh, not only are they not giving you a new picture. A real picture of the film, but uh, they're, they're you know they're using iconic imagery from previous films. So yeah, there it's this is definitely the definition of a tease teaser poster. <laughs> Apparently, the other thing is that you're supposed to be able to read Drew's Drewsen's signature on Luke's left foot, somewhere on his left foot. Let me see. I'm gonna lean over a little closer because I think I just found it. Yeah, I think I just saw it. I was having a real tough time finding it, but I think I did find it right on his left foot. I think you have it very scribbled there, uh, uh, uh name there, Drew which is kind of cool you know how the artists sometimes hide their names there was a period in time where they you know production companies d- didn't want the artists names on posters but throughout the years things have changed and, and they've been able to kind of hide their names here or there obviously you don't want to put a billboard with their name on it but uh, like I said this might not be an official one sheet but this is one of these very super iconic posters if you're into poster collecting uh, having to do with Star Wars this is kind of like the uh, the, the one year birthday poster or the, uh, the concert poster there are certain posters that are very iconic and important in poster collecting and the fact that this is the only one uh, that is completely you know labeled with revenge of the Jedi this is it unless you get those Star Wars you know we're gonna show the preview trailer banner you are never going to see the revenge of the Jedi a name anywhere at least not until you know the prequels come out and you have revenge of the Sith which they kind of recycle that which makes a little more sense but I definitely would recommend this poster for any serious Star Wars poster collector. Again, you want to you spend real money, please go ahead and do it. <laughs> Good luck. But if you want a reproduction, decent reproduction, you can get it for anywhere between 10 and 20 bucks. And you can display it and enjoy it. Up next, we have Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now, I've done a Raiders of the Lost Ark poster review a while back. A very long time ago, actually when I started doing the poster reviews, you know, first. And the one that I reviewed last time was the re-release of Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is the one that I own original, that I bought back then. And I told the story of how, at the time, I couldn't afford the real one, you know, the original one. So I, I went and bought the the, the the re-release one, which was the one that was, you know, more affordable at that time. You know, we're talking about 19, I don't know, 82, possibly, you know, when, when I bought that one. But as I mentioned before, my favorite Raiders posters is the original poster, the first one that came out, which ironically was drawn by the same artist, Richard Amsell. And I've talked about Richard Amsel in the past, again, the, the fact that very prolific poster designer, uh, artist, if you go to his website, uh, you know, you'll see the whole collection of all of the different posters he's drawn. And there's a lot of developmental stages of some of these posters you know the guy died i think he was 35 years old it's it's incredible how young he died i mean he he could have done so much more work but there's a definite style and a definite look to his posters which is kind of bizarre because the original raiders and the re-release of raiders to me looks so different the backgrounds, you know the color palettes are there they're kind of similar But the way that he chooses to render the characters, to me, is completely different. The original Raiders poster, which is the one that I recently purchased. Again, it's a reproduction. It's not an original, but it serves its purpose. Just like my Revenge of the Jedi poster. That is the one that is in the picture, also in the record, in the uh, soundtrack. They used that original art. And it is the one that was used mostly when the film was released. There is a third poster out there, which was actually drawn by Drew Struzan. You know, going back to Revenge of the Jedi again. Uh, which is a bizarre, well not bizarre, but it's very different. It couldn't be any more different from this. It's very photorealistic. And it's a shot of like uh Indian Marion up on top. And you see the arc in the bottom. And just the lighting is completely much darker and, and different And from what I understand, that one was used more for international distribution of the film, even though this one does make its rounds, just like a lot of them. And this one is the one I associate the most with the movie. If I think of the movie, this is the poster I always think of. Plus, the international one I mentioned was also the one used in the album, the story of Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, like the story of Star Wars, those big albums they used to put out. Well, that's the art they used on that one. So it's it's another way of fans to kind of have access to that art and they might not even know they have it. That's where that came from. But again, what I'm concentrating on right now is that original poster. To me, it's the best rendition of Indy. His face looks completely different than the re-release. The re-release, I think I mentioned before, it almost looks like a, a cartoon or an animated version, a comic book version of Indiana Jones. A fun adventure. Let's have some fun, you know, that kind of feel you get from it. This one, it's more serious. To me, it's more photorealistic. The design of the poster itself, you have to also keep in mind, this is before the movie came out. That secondary poster, they purposely added more characters and more what you could call spoilery material in that poster because at that time, you know, it was a re-release. You weren't really spoiling anything because... You know, with re-releases, you want people to kind of see it again. I don't know how many new people you used to get when you re-released a film. It's like a secondary run, so, you know, there's not much of that going on. And here, yeah, this was a different kind of poster. And I remember when I first saw the fact that there was going to be this movie called Raiders of the Lost Ark. Which really didn't say much to me. However, here's where it gets important. Again, you're dealing with a an 11-year-old here, you know, back in 1981. On the top of the poster, you know, you have all the information, which we're going to talk about all the art of the poster. But all the way on the top, there's a banner, there's a white section of the poster that says, Indiana Jones, the new hero from the creators of Jaws and Star Wars. So, to me, this was like, what's this? Wait a minute, Jaws, what, is, what exactly is, I'm not sure exactly what Jaws is, but I know what Star Wars is. It's 1981. We already saw The Empire Strikes Back. I had already seen Star Wars back in Uruguay. And there was a Marble comic book adaptation uh, that I found. Don't remember if I found it before the movie came out or after the movie came out. But this was one of those things where it was like, you know, I don't know if I'm into this. It almost looks like a cowboy looking thing. There's a guy with a hat and he's got a, I don't know, he's got some kind of rope around his shoulder and there's a shot of him uh, uh, on a rope, and there's a truck and a horse, and it's like, you know, I don't know if I can do this. This is this is kind of weird. But just the fact that up on top, the word Star Wars was there, that was enough for me as an 11 year old to kind of give it a second look and go, what's this about? What is what is the Star Wars connected? The creators of Jaws and Star Wars. What the hell is that about? And that. Is what hooked me. That's what got me at least interested in looking a little deeper into it. Now, I don't remember exactly if at the time I understood that Harrison Ford was the same Harrison Ford from Star Wars. I don't know exactly if at the time I also understood that George Lucas was the same George Lucas as Star Wars. Obviously, Star Wars is there, and I don't, you know, I, I don't remember exactly how deep, you know, in the weeds I was. Back then in terms of the making of knowledge. Now granted, uh, you know, came here in 79, December of 79, I think it was. Uh, So it's really, really 1980. Uh, So I had a good year of Empire and catching up with Star Wars lore. And then this movie hits. I can definitely tell you that once I saw this film, I was like, oh my God, what the hell is this all about? This is just amazing. It was just earth shattering. You know, this completely new genre for me. You know, around that time, I was always gravitating towards sci-fi. Not even horror back then. I'd say more sci-fi. But all of a sudden, this movie just opened up, you know, my tastes in film. And there was something completely you know, incredible about it. And granted, Harrison Ford was probably one of the biggest things. This guy now has two movies under his belt that are completely amazing. And this is his starting role. You know, he's the star of this film. He's not a, he's not a co-star as he is in Star Wars or Empire. But the poster itself, again, you have to remember that the poster, this is the original poster. So like they do on many films, they don't want to give you too much you know, they don't want to give it away too much. The The secondary poster, the re-release, gives you a lot more because you already know some of these characters. But with this poster, what you have is Raiders of the Lost Ark on top with the logo, the letters, the red to white, you know, grading letters that are iconic. You know, they're kind of like the Back to the Future letters. I don't remember if Back to the Future uses the same color grade or it's reverse or something like that. But... It became iconic, you know, for, for the, the names of the movies. They're all going to have that. As far as the merchandising goes, as far as the the books and, the you know, that kind of thing, especially the posters. But what fu- what's funny is that in a lot of the movies, especially even in Raiders of the Lost Ark, when you see the name of the movie in the movie, it's done with a completely different font, <laughs> a completely different color. And you're like, whoa, this is weird. The other thing to keep in mind is that this is before... Just like anything else, before you turn it into a franchise, the possibility of this being a single film, it wasn't called Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark like it is now. Now they kind of rebranded the film because all the sequels became Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, Indiana Jones, The Crystal Skull, whatever, The Crystal, whatever. (laughs) And I'm sure the next one will be Indiana Jones and whatever. But back then, you know, this is how they were. This is the name of the movie. So you have the title up top, you have a huge picture of Harrison Ford, you know, and again, it's very photorealistic. I I assume it must've came from some photograph. He might not necessarily been holding, you know, the whip over his shoulder in the photograph, but it is him. It looks just like him and it's very well done. And as you scroll down a little further down, let's see, to the right, you have a truck and what could be Indiana Jones on a white horse riding alongside the truck. Now, It's interesting because the truck does not look exactly like the truck we get in the movie. It looks a little different. It's got a big cross in the front. The windows in the front are different. The grill is not the same kind of grill. So this might have been, again, I'm speculating here, from some conceptual drawings, you know, artistic drawings, that sort of thing that they were using or in giving the the artist the idea of what it would look like obviously a white horse is a white horse so you don't have to really you know it's pretty dead on what a white horse looks like the other side of the poster on the left side of the poster if you will you have indy climbing down a rope into an area where there's what appears to be a lady wearing a whitish kind of dress holding a torch now obviously that's marion but now the fact that to me it looks a lot like marion like even the way the dress is cut, remember, she rips the dress or this in order to, uh, so the snakes don't get in there and that sort of thing. So it, it looks a lot like hers, which leads me to believe that maybe he did have some kind of reference photo of that scene or something about that scene. And then you also see the bit of a crumbled foot, you know, statuesque foot, large foot with a snake around it and you see some snakes on the ground and this snake kind of it's funny because the some of that stuff kind of overlaps to the bottom of the poster a little bit just like the whip he's holding it overlaps into the white area of the poster which is interesting how they you know why would they choose to do that to, to let some things overlap and the other thing that's also very interesting that i've never really noticed before is that the rope that India is climbing down on if you follow the rope all the way up it starts at the r of raiders it is kind of being held by the the little little D shape inside the R. That's where the rope starts. I've never really noticed that before uh, until now. Uh, and in the center bottom, in between those two other images, you have the, uh, the 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 God of the Hobitos, the the fertility statue, you know, in in its little altar. Which looking at this poster, you might say to yourself, you know, this is back in 1981. You might say, Raiders of the Lost Ark. What are the heck, what the heck, are Raiders? 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 What is raiders? They're raiding, or are they raiders? Like, are they writers? No, not writers, raiders. <laughs> I remember, that was one of the toughest things about, it's like, what the hell is a raider? Of the Lost Ark. Okay, so a Lost Ark, a Lost, well, that must be the Ark down there. I mean, I'm looking at this little statue down there with the, with this, you know, with its teeth and red eyes, and I remember I used to say, oh, wow, that must, that must be the, the Lost Ark. Again, the the arc itself, you know, it's it's the MacGuffin, but it's more than a MacGuffin because the MacGuffin you actually see this particular MacGuffin, but you don't want to see it in this poster. The color palette, like I said, it's it's very very tan and brown and yellow and and the the the, the interesting thing about this drawing also is that this this art is that the background, in other words, behind the the characters and all this other stuff. You see what looks like to be a what could be an Egyptian tomb wall because it's very yellow with a lot of cracks and discolorations behind them. So he the the artist so purposely, purposely wanted to give you that that color palette and that feel because we do get that. That is the entire Egyptian sequence, you know, of, of going into the tombs, going into the temples, and you see that kind of thing. And I'm glad that he was able to do this. You know, for for this particular poster, it is very pencil drawn looking. It's got so much. Like I said, it is more photorealistic than the other one because the other one is more in the cartoony side. This one is more realistic, but still, again, I'm not an artist and I, I don't know the vocabulary that well, but... There's a lot of pencil marks, and you could see the, the just all these instead of brush strokes. This is all pencil looking. It, it, it's 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 really different, a different style, I guess, of drawing, as opposed to you. You know, you when I, when I was talking about Struven, for example, completely different. Now, what's interesting also is that if you go to the Richard Amsel website, which is, let's see, it's called Richard-Amsel.com. And you go through all these different movie posters. And and you can see his entire biography of movie posters. I've talked to him about before when we talked about Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon was an amazing poster, if you guys remember... Again, it's, it, he does a lot of work with pencil. He likes to do very super sharp images. But I'll, I'll, I'll throw in a couple of other ones that I probably did in the past that are, that are I mean, uh, that are at least, I mean, there's a lot more, but the, to me, that I remember them. Uh, the Dark Crystal, Flash Gordon, obviously, in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. You know, the, the, the secondary Raiders of the Lost Ark poster that I mentioned before. The Muppet movie, Julia. The Shootist. If you search through his his posters, you do recognize a style that carried on and evolved, you know, through his life. Chinatown. The Sting. So, yeah, I would definitely recommend going to the website and, and going through it. And one of the best things about it is that in the website, not only do you have that, but there are certain movies where you will see the progression of the poster of how it started out. And you have there also a picture of a sketch that he did a you know just a black pencil on white paper sketch of what he thinks this poster might look like. So you have the frame of the of of its full on indie. It's it's that that medium shot holding at the time again you can't really tell what it is. We know it's a whip over his shoulder staring straight at you. And what's funny is that within the frame of the sketch, just even the sketch of Indie alone, you also you already see The kind of like the butt end of the whip is overlapping out of the frame. So he already had that in mind. That's really interesting. He already had that in mind from the beginning. Then we go to the next picture, which is on a color. They call it a color comprehensive art. Colored pencil and ink on tracing paper. Interesting. Uh, Now this one is, again, it's in color. You have him, but he looks a little different. The way he's posing and the way his face looks, looks a little different. Not as iconic i would say (laughs) as the other one he's still holding the the whip over his shoulder but now it's it's less of a medium shot it's a little tighter shot it's like it's almost like a bus shot but what he did is he actually added the some of that extra information in the bottom for example indy climbing down from the name of the movie on top because on top of his hat you could see the name of the movie marion is there There there's some temple ruins in the bottom on the right-hand side, more temple ruins, and in the middle, you do have the idol in the middle, but no truck or, or horse in this particular version or stage of the sketch. Up next, you have something that looks practically exactly like what the final poster looks like, except it doesn't have the logo, the Raiders logo on top. All the other elements are in place. Now we're back down to more of a medium shot of Indy. There's enough space on top to put the title so it doesn't overlap into his hat or his head area. So it's it's kind of like positioning all the all the pieces that need to be done. And according to this, it was done in watercolor, acrylic airbrush, colored pencils on board. So wow, he he uses a combination of of different types of paints and drawing implements, I guess, to get that effect that that looks very very sharp and pencil-y. And then you have the final product. And then you have the final product, the one that I'm talking about here, which, like, again, mine is a reproduction. It's not an original. But, you know, like I said, this is the one that I'm more familiar with. This is the one that I couldn't afford. (laughs) Back then, I don't remember if back then we had the option of buying reproductions. I guess the poster industry was a lot smaller. And back then uh this was a period where i was able to buy i mean uh, some posters you could order through the mail i remember uh, and some posters you could go to a store and and i used to go to a special store i think it was called jerry orlingers or something like that in manhattan i told the story before I, I i think they they closed down they finally closed down i think I could have swore i saw an article about it and it was uh it was in in manhattan and and it was somewhere in like downtown manhattan i think and and you used to have to go down these steps into this it was like a brownstone but it was underneath the brownstone you have to go into the little kind of basement a tiny tiny little shop packed with posters and obviously they couldn't display anything because the, the shop was so small and you would ask for a certain name and they would bring out you know whatever variations on that poster existed and that's how you would buy them. But even back then, I remember this one was just out of my prior. Again, I don't remember how much they wanted, but I said, all right, I can't do that. <laughs> I got to go for the next one. So I ended up buying the other one. But later on, you know, once I understood that I was into this sort of thing, I was able to purchase future versions. Like I said, for example, the um, Star Wars fan club, Lucasfilm fan club, I don't know if it was Lucasfilm or Star Wars back then. They they would offer, you know, one-sheet posters. So uh, through the fan club, I remember I got the indie poster, Indiana Jones Temple of Doom poster. I got, I think I got through them also the Last Crusade poster. And, you know, those were actual, you know, one-sheets and I was able to get them. Now, this is also a period where, I don't know exactly when it happened, but this is when posters are still only being printed on one side. Because I know nowadays, sometimes uh, there's a lot of posters that are printed dual-sided. This way they can put them on a you know, on a light box, and then you can shine light through them, which is really cool, you know, when, when they do that in a, in a movie theater, especially if you are gonna take a picture of it. But th- this is a, still an, an era where the posters are single-sided printed. But I don't remember exactly if this poster was offered through the fan club. And at the time, like I said, I, I just wasn't, I don't know, if either I wasn't part of the fan club at that point yet, but I'm pretty sure I was pretty early on the fan club, or if it just wasn't in my radar, and I kind of said, nah, don't worry about it, skip it. But then, yeah, when the movie came out, forget it, the movie just blew everything away. I still have, and, and I think I might have mentioned it once before, I still have a cassette recording. Now, I didn't go as crazy as I used to go <laughs> with Star Wars. Oh, with my. I told the story of uh, sneaking in a, a tape recorder to record the audio while watching Empire Strikes Back. I did that once. I didn't do it later because obviously you know home video was was actually becoming more common and and it's like what's the point of doing this if eventually you'll have it on VHS and eventually we did all of us bought VHS copies of star wars and empire whatever but around this time which was around the empire strikes back time they did the the making of raiders of the lost ark i think it was called stunts and something show I forget what it was called exactly, but it was basically the making of, of and, it, and it and it it was a lot about the stunt work, and this was obviously to promote the film. This is something that used to be done sometimes back then, and I remember I recorded it on cassette, and I still have that cassette of. The show being played on TV live and me with a cassette recorder, they're recording it. And I guess at the 30 minute mark, I have to switch the cassette, you know, because that's the problem I had always that I was to switch cassettes, flip it over. Uh, so it's funny that I do have an actual recording of watching the making of Raiders of the Lost Stark. But to this day, you know. Raiders is the the benchmark, you know. Uh, the the movies in my opinion got progressively worse <laughs> the the farther away we got from this film. This film is perfect. It's funny. I was watching it the other day and it is so much to me like Star Wars in terms of it is such a good balance of all of the things that I like about it. In other words, it takes itself serious. It has humor, but overall it takes itself serious. Not up until the very, very end do we get the supernatural part. So we're always, it's almost like a a detective story, an adventure detective story. Because it's not until the end where the film goes, oh my god, this is bigger than we thought it was. However, the other day, right after putting on Raiders, I put on Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And I noticed right away, and this is one of the things that bothered me about Temple of Doom, is that the character of Willie is a complete comedic character. She almost has no realistic scenes or lines because she's always the 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 comic relief. I mean, you Short Round was a big comic relief, but Willie's a comic relief. And that is one of the things I remember I, I did not like about in the Angels and the Temple of Doom is the fact that it doesn't take itself too serious uh, even though they're they're very, you know, they're in a very deadly scenario of of these, you know, this group it's kidnapping children and they're being held slaves and this and that. But the, the heavy-handed comedy is one of the things that really, really struck me hard while trying to watch Temple of Doom. And the other thing was the opening musical number. The opening musical number, I kept thinking, and I understand that it's... I know it's a concept thing. And it's a, it's, it's, it's a fantasy thing, if you will. Because I kept telling my son, look at this. They're dancing. It's a musical number. As far as musical numbers go on musicals, it works. You know, they're doing it right. They're dancing. They have a nice big stage. They have everything set up for them. And they're they're dancing perfectly well. However, this is taking me out of the film. This is not realistic. When you watch a musical, you're not in a realistic setting. So they're supposed to be at this club with a tiny little stage. And the stage where they're dancing, where they're showing you the dance... It's like, a, you know, it's like Radio City Music Hall. It's like a gigantic, you know, movie set stage. But we're supposed to kind of believe or or pretend that this is all happening in a very tiny club, second floor of a club building stage. Which is kind of like, okay, what are, is the beginning of the film a fantasy that we're kind of seeing in our heads? But then we kind of come back to reality and it's a very tiny stage with with only uh, two or three dancing girls, you know. That's that I always found weird. That we would start the film in this fantasy mode, where you're already jumping into it, thinking, "What's going on here?" We don't start with realism, you know. Then we get a little more realistic when we have the, you know, Indy comes in and they're they're doing the deal for the for the for the the diamond uh, for the for the statue or whatever, you know, all that stuff. But Willie's character, oh my God, the constant, constant, jokey and silly, and and then you have Short Round, which you know he's also kind of silly, and and I don't know. In my opinion, I think they kind of went a little overboard. Uh, you know, I, I'm always waiting for the the story to get uh, more serious. Now, don't get me wrong, that that opening sequence is fantastic in terms of the fight scene, you know, the the chasing after the antidote and and all that stuff. But it is so peppered in comedy that it's like, oh, my God. Now, luckily, they didn't go that crazy in um, Last Crusade. But Last Crusade also felt different to me. Again, it didn't have the the same feel. It It was very much father and son you know adjust you know father is so smart son is kind of dumb but it's indie he's not dumb you know so he's always kind of doing this dynamic dance with his father and i get that that's what they were going for but again that's not raiders temple of doom is not raiders it doesn't have that tone that feel and even if you go further into kingdom of the crystal skull I can't even tell you what that was. That was just, uh, sheesh. They were trying, I don't know, maybe they were trying to combine everything. You know, the father's son, except he's the father now. Now they're Russians. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It, it, it was It was weird. It was weird. In in, in Last Crusade, they're definitely trying to bring the the serious aspect by bringing the Nazis back, but I think the the silly banter between the father and son to me felt a little distracting. You know, again, it brings us further from the this original concept. I don't know what they're going to do next. I know they're going to do something. I don't know how Harrison Ford is going to play him. I don't know what exactly he has in mind or Lucas and and Spielberg, but you know i wish him the best and i'm i'll go see it no matter what and uh, the poster will be interesting to see what kind of poster they come up with uh for that because nowadays they don't always go for the big stars the big poster artists sometimes they just like pull somebody out of their thin air and you're like wow who is this you know you you, ne- you never exactly know who these people are you know the the, the poster superstars don't seem to be around anymore but again this is definitely a classic Uh, i definitely recommend uh, picking one up going to the website of richard amsell take a look at his prolific work you won't be disappointed all right i hope you guys enjoyed today's show we uh once again explore the world of posters movie posters and we hit revenge of the jedi and raiders of the lost ark it does not get any more classic than that pretty much these are wonderful posters As I mentioned, they're reprints, they're not originals. If you own the originals, that's amazing. You probably got a fantastic deal. If you bought them originally when they first came out nowadays, they are ridiculously expensive if you're looking for originals, but guess what? These reprints, they're not bad, especially if you like to rotate posters and they're not going to hang around there for too long. They're not perfect. They are clearly reprints, you know, there's nothing hiding them. There are certain little things about them that tell you that they're reprints. You know, the the Revenge of the Jedi one has this little logo on the side that you're like, that's not original. And the funny thing is that the Raiders of the Lost Ark one has a date in the corner that is different from the original print because it even says 1982 on it when it should say 1981. So that's kind of cool how they even hid a way of people not getting fooled. You know, it's hidden in the the bottom of the corner of the poster itself, built into it. So that's kind of neat. Well, thanks everybody for listening and we will see you here soon at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye everybody.
1: For nearly 3,000 years, man has searched for the lost Ark of the Covenant. The Bible speaks of the Ark leveling mountains and laying waste to entire regions. Not something to be taken lightly. No one knows its secrets. Jones, do you realize what the Ark is? It's a transmitter. It's a radio for speaking to God. In an army which carries the Ark before it is invincible. The Ark, it is their Atanis. And it is something that man was not meant to disturb. It is protected by forces beyond imagination. It is desired above all treasures on Earth by those who are good, trust me. And those who are evil. I'll tell you everything. Yes, I know you will. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, Let her go. If you still want the ark, it has been loaded onto a truck for Cairo. Raiders of the Lost Ark. A film from Steven Spielberg and George Lucas.
0: <laughs>